NFTs are my way of either confirming something's real, right? I could sell my car through an NFT. The NFT says, oh, you own this NFT. You now own my car and the title that goes with it, right? So something that's digital can also transfer to the physical. You're listening to Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay a podcast that empowers financial brand marketing, sales and leadership teams to maximize their digital growth potential by generating 10 times more loans and deposits. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insights series, where James Robert Lay interviews the industry's top marketing, sales and fintech leaders, sharing practical wisdom to exponentially elevate you and your team. Let's get into the show. Greetings and hello, I am James Robert Lay and welcome to episode 291 of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series and I'm excited to welcome Lee Richter to the show. Lee is the CEO of Global Leaders Collective and is quickly becoming one of the biggest pioneers in the world around crypto and NFTs as the co-author of the new book, Blockchain Life, Making Sense of the Metaverse, NFTs, Cryptocurrency, Virtual Reality, Augmented Reality, and Web3. And today, Lee and I are going to make sense of this brave new world together to guide you, dear listener, so that you can spot trends, capture new opportunities to maximize growth at your bank, at your credit union, or at your fintech. Welcome to the show, Lee. It is so good to share time with you today. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here, and I'm so happy we get to connect in real time. In real time, because things are dynamic, things are fluid. We must be adaptable. We must be flexible. Before we get into talking about Web3 NFTs and maybe what else is just going on in the world right now through the lens of banking, what is good in your world? Because I always like to start the show off on a positive perspective, personal or professional. It's your pick to get started. Uh, a couple good things. Number one, my daughter was just here for a week for spring break from her freshman year in college. She's going in Boston. I live in San Francisco, so it was so fun to have her here. And then what's really great for me is I'm getting ready to pack for my trip to Maui, going there for a couple weeks and just having some time in the sunshine and at the beach and relaxing. Getting, getting that vitamin D is good for the mind, body, and soul for sure. And, and you mentioned, you know, being in San Francisco, and uh, this is going to air a couple of weeks after we record, but for context for the dear listener, we're coming out of a very wild weekend with a couple of major bank failures. Has some people on edge, and you're essentially kind of like right there in San Francisco what are you seeing? What are you hearing from people that you that you know? I love that you asked this question because you're right. It's timely right now. I was in Palo Alto over the weekend, hung out at the golf course with a couple friends of mine, and it was the only topic everyone could talk about was the Silicon Valley Bank and how could things turn around so quickly and who's watching the store and what's going to happen in our future. And there is a very, very big domino effect, not only in mindset, but in the reality of where is the money chain? You know, like companies that are here, they have money in the bank, more than $250,000 in deposits for their quarterly taxes, for their payroll. And they just want to make sure it's still business as usual and they can access those funds and pay their team. Because it's a very funny thing that if when you stop paying team, they stop showing up. And right now we want business as usual to keep moving forward. So we need our teams paid. And a lot of people are down to the basics again of, 
Where's the money coming from? Where's their support system? And how do they protect themselves here and in the future for changes in the market that can happen so quickly? Uh, a lot of heads are spinning right now. I think you mentioned changes in the market can happen so quickly. One of the trends that I've been following here that I haven't really seen talked about at more of a national quote unquote media level, not surprised, but it's, it's the social media, how social media impacted almost a quote unquote digital run on SVB. And, you know, the idea of the power of social and meeting people where they are, this is, you know, a good transition into the book that you co-authored with Carrie, Blockchain Life. Why write this book? Because you mentioned something in, in your previous comment about mindset here. Why write the book why now? Carrie and I both were really running up against the fact of there's so many people in different generations hmm. understanding what blockchain life is and understanding why blockchain is in our life right now. And what I learned is a lot of people in their teens and their 20s, they just jump right in. And yeah. people in their 30s and 40s, they're used to ATMs and they're used to checks and they're, they're used to things a certain way. And then people 50 and beyond, they were just like, oh, I'm on the sidelines. It's too complicated. And I thought... No, 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 no. We're all in this together. Yes. Why don't we take the education to a place where anyone could read and at least catch up of where we are right now, understand the terms, understand what is the impact on all of us at every generation, every age, every background, every color, every continent. Mm -hmm. what, what's happening is it's going to be changing for all of us. Um, just coming off a TED Talk a couple weeks ago, one of the lines that I used in there that is really profound to me um, a friend of mine, Joe, told me this uh, a little while ago, and it just sticks with me, which is when technology advances, it never goes backwards. Like when you got a remote control to change the TV channel, guess what? You didn't get up and change the channel anymore. When it went from horse and buggy to car, it didn't go backwards. Like every single time there's an advancement, we have to figure out how to adapt and go with it. So I'm just saying in blockchain life, might as well understand it right now. It's only a small percentage of the planet that does. If you understand it from the beginning, you kind of have an advantage of how it takes off and where it goes. And you understand why there's twists and turns in the market just like it is right now. And uh, I think it's kind of fun, but also make sure that you limit your risk to what you can actually afford to do where it doesn't change your lifestyle. And that is one of the big factors right now is it's still speculative, speculative. It's still a place where you're going to learn how to adapt, right? But walk before you run, take it slow first. And this is not investment advice. This is just to pique your curiosity of what's going on and learn about it. And that's a great point. When technology advances, it doesn't go backwards. And we're we're in the early stages. We're in the early innings of, of, of a new game to be played here. And I appreciate how the book, it's framed around three three key parts. You, you, you start off with context, and I want to I go there. Then it's, there's the comparison. And, and then finally, you wrap things up with, with creation. Mm -hmm. and, and let's roll back for context here because you mentioned age, um, we're all at a different stage of life. You've got Gen Z, you've got millennials, you've got uh, Gen X, you've got baby boomers. And our life's experience from the past frame our present 
reality, uh, which will help to then, you know, provide a path forward into the future. But what you're doing with this resource, with this book is, is you're just providing a, maybe a new perspective and perspective is what I look at as the sum of context and framing. And perhaps through this conversation, we can reframe the perspective of, for others by providing a, a different type of context. Right. You mentioned blockchain. I know it gets thrown around a lot. There's, you know, probably some people who understand what we're talking about, but I'm willing to bet the majority of our listeners are, I, I know the word, I don't really understand it, and that makes me feel uncomfortable. Let's break blockchain down first in the present. What is blockchain? Well, blockchain is a series, it basically a series of codes to put things together for things to be verifiable. So in the NFT mar marketplace, I'm using blockchain to put NFTs on as a way that it's verifiable, that I could use in the future, that is real and one of one, right? So mm -hmm. I'm using it basically for different reasons for people to have access to events or access to uh, special opportunities are, are coming in the future. So it rests on blockchain. Blockchain is a place where it's a series of codes that verify this is a one of one. Actually, when I put it on blockchain, there's two different verifications that come and confirm that it's complete. And once they verify it, then it's on, it's stamped on the blockchain. So for me, I'm using it as NFTs as a safe place, a safe haven, not only to put them, but to be able to refer to them later or to give them as assets or pass them along to someone else for access. So verification, identification, to prove the uh, legitimacy um, of a one-to-one whatever that might be yeah transaction exactly and we're paying what's called a gas fee for people to actually go on the blockchain on both sides to verify the purchase to verify the sell to verify it matches up and then once it's put on the blockchain it is stamped and it could be found there forever so how did we get here and this is where i want to roll back in time just a bit because there's this thing this transformative thing that we've all been living and experiencing in different, once again, perspectives. I was born in 1981. So I, I was in maybe sixth grade getting on in the early 90s, going up to my dad's work, logging into chat rooms, if you will, back then, talking about baseball cards. Maybe it was the 92, 93. But I was like, wow, this is so cool. Because I vividly remember talking with someone in France about baseball cards which were a really big thing and that you know maybe we can use the baseball card analogy going forward into nfts as we move through this this narrative here but once again i think this is where you know providing some context of where we've been when it comes to you know these big terms web 1.0 web 2.0 what what did we experience through each one of these at a very very high level to get to now to where we're entering into a new season web 3.0 take us back in time Wow, well, Web 1, which was not called Web 1.0 back in the day, it was <laughs> the World Wide Web. It was basically a platform that would have one-way dialogue. So I would build a website and it would connect with the audience, but it wasn't connecting with the audience for two-way dialogue. It was connecting for me delivering information, me delivering offers, and maybe the audience taking action on it and interacting that way. Now, Web 2.0 is things like Facebook, where now all of a sudden there was a platform but it was giving away for two-way dialogue. But whoever owns the platform still owns the IP. And that is what got in the way for the millennials. The millennials are like, hmm, I don't really want to keep giving away our IP anymore. And 
the gamers and the people getting in there and playing games started realizing that their attention and their intellectual property is actually the most valuable on the internet right now. So how do they exchange their attention and their engagement for value from the platform? And Web3 was born, where now in Web3, whoever owns the platform also owns the IP, but it could be me who owns my own content. So rather than Facebook owning it and selling it through ads, I could be in a DAO or I could be in a Web3 experience where I own the content and I decide how to multiply that. So in Web3, what I'm using is NFTs as my choice of how to, to be in this Web3 environment. And NFTs are my way of either confirming something's real, right? I could sell my car through an NFT. The NFT says, oh, you own this NFT, you now own my car and the title that goes with it, right? Mm -hmm. So something that's digital can also transfer to the physical. It could be combined. Um, but also I could prove that I own that um, yes. now with that NFT. I can also do fractional ownership. Like I have a place in Hawaii, right? I can sell one NFT that says you get it for three nights, or I can sell one that says you get it for a month. Whoever has that NFT will now have access to be able to use that property. And that could either be a fractional ownership or even just a fractional access for right now. It's a lot of what we've been doing. Like when I go to a concert, I show them my phone and it has a QR code and they scan it and I go in. Mm -hmm. It basically is the same thing. The difference is, is it's not stamped on blockchain forever. Right. right. Whereas me, I might get you access to something special in Rome, but I put it on blockchain to guarantee that it's yours and it's transparent that when you show up, it's proven that that's your, your access ticket. Um, I've seen bands do it actually. One of the things we were talking about was bands would always sell tickets. Hey, do you want to go backstage with the band? Or do you want to have dinner with the band? Or do you want to have access at the set break? And they would get like a VIP pass. Well, now they could do it through an NFT. And I've seen artists do NFTs that are like, would you like to fly in the private jet with the, with the band from one venue to another, right? That might be a $100,000 investment in an NFT, but then they have access to this exclusive experience that nobody else has. And so it's working by having super uber fans meet with the band, but in a simple way, which is through an NFT purchase rather than all the multitudes of ways they used to do it before. Just like people feel stressed about money, we understand digital growth can also feel confusing, frustrating, and overwhelming. But it doesn't have to feel this way for you because you can join the Digital Growth University to gain clarity through education, to overcome the fear of the unknown. Build your team's courage with a growth strategy to eliminate the fear of change and increase your confidence with coaching to remove the fear of failure. Visit digitalgrowth.com university to apply. And I think that's a, a, an important distinction here, rolling your, your thinking back just a bit. When you think about Web 1.0, they create, they own it. Web 2.0, we create, but they, they being the platform, they own it. And then now with Web 3, it's like we create and we own it. And so it's this idea of ownership. Yes. And IP and intellectual property that, I, th I think has some of the most transformative growth opportunities through the lens of financial services. It's, you know, one of the things that you touched on in the book, and I've had Joe Polizzi on and talking about this, once again, big term, the creator economy. What do you see are potential opportunities for growth when it comes to a bank, a credit union, a fintech, 
creating value for those creating in the creator economy? I think take a good look at the companies that are there at the front doorstep right now. I mean, Starbucks is there and Nike mm -hmm. is there, right? Yep, yep. Uh, we have Louis Vuitton that's there. Like there's, Gucci has a, a place in the metaverse on Roblox right now, Gucci Town, right? So I think look at some of the brands that are ahead of you. Of course, Gary Vee and watching how he's expanding his brand and his yes. community. I think with the lesson that we could take is this is the chance to rebuild your community with your raving fans. Um, one of the things I see in a Web 2 internet marketing campaign is a lot of times when internet marketers put things out, if they have 10 to 15% of the people coming on the journey with them, they're ecstatic. They feel like that's a big win. They have more than, you know, double digit of the people coming with them. When I see a Web 3 launch, uh, my friend Jeff McPherson did one on Crypto.com. On the first launch, he had people come with him. But the second launch, 89% of the people from the first launch were participating in the second. It was wow. absolutely amazing to have 89%. Why? Because they're actual fans. They're really his deep dive community. They're excited about what's next. And they're sitting at the front door on the waiting list. Can't wait to see what's unveiled. So I think that's what we're going to see different about Web3 is it's more about the experience of the audience and bringing them with us. And an experience of like, how do we deep dive together? And I think that's what you're going to see in, you know, Starbucks, you're going to see it in Nike is that they're building their, their highest level of engagement with people who really want to be part of their brand and really believe in their values and the experience that's ahead of them. Now, when you look at someone like Tom Bilio, who launched Impact Theory, mm -hmm. I have two of his... Uh, his high level NFTs, he created a utility map with many, many ways to get in there and play, right? You can go into his university, you can pitch him on uh, being part of a product, you can be on his whitelist for other NFTs that he brought out. Like there were all these different ways to participate and you could choose which one you want. You didn't have to do all of them. And some things were unlocked now and you could see it and some are locked for later as a surprise. So now it creates a sense of engagement like, oh, I can't wait to see what's next. What Easter egg's going to show up? Is there going to be a surprise if I go in there? And so he's created a way where you're like curious because he doesn't have to know today what's going to be unlocked next month. But next month he might have an aha, share it with the audience. And because I'm there, I get the surprise. And I saw that with, with Gary Vee when people bought his V friends. When I went to the first conference, do you know how many of those people got surprise jackets in the mail or gifts in the mail? So when they showed up at the conference, they're wearing their jacket and feeling like they're in the cool kids club, right? Yep. It was a surprise. It was not necessarily, hey, guess what? You're going to get this. But as they trickled in, people were like excited and then they wore it with pride. So yes. he has tapped into what's important to his audience and he's bringing them on the journey with them. And even at that conference, they had a, a booth with swag and stuff and it sold out on the first day. Like people could not wait to get their hands on stuff. I think I got two t-shirts and my team was ecstatic. I got my hands on them and I'm like, who knew I was going to have to fight to get t-shirts that say Gary Vee and friends, but it was part of the community was like to have that, to say you were there. So a couple of things as, as you're talking through, you, you've mentioned community and you've mentioned audience and, and where my mind is going with this historically, let's say web one, web two, we, we thought about audience building. Now, as we look ahead to web three, it's really community building. And I think from the lens, particularly of a community financial institution, a community bank, a credit union, 
community is the backbone of who they serve, who they support. Just community goes beyond the physical boundaries of zip code now. And, and that creates a tremendous amount of new growth opportunities. I had, you know, someone uh, from your neck of the woods, Gina B, um, CEO of Mighty Networks. Uh, she was on the podcast and we were talking about how Mighty Networks is building community platforms that, that a brand now owns. Facebook doesn't own it. You know, Twitter doesn't own it. It's, it's owned by the brand. But there's something else that you've been mentioning here a few times, and I, I, I want to pause for clarity because it's kind of like the word blockchain. You've, you've talked about NFTs. I want to just pause and break this down a little bit further for the dear listener because, once again, their perspective, I think, is shaped by what they hear from others. Um, even when working and coaching financial brand leaders and we're talking about the idea of AI and chat GPT, I've been asking them, What's your what's your take on Chat GPT? And they say, Oh, it's 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 gonna run the educational system. I said, Well, why do you feel that way? And I'm looking at it very objectively, like you know, what what what's shaping that thought for you? And they said, Well, it's what I'm hearing in the media. And I said, Okay, understandable. But do you mind if I provide you with another perspective? And then whenever I provide them with another perspective of potential opportunity, they're like, Ah, I've never thought about it that way. So let's just pause on NFT for just a bit. What does that mean, um, NFT, and and how how can I practically understand this as a financial brand leader through my lens of the world? Yeah, it is a journey to learn about this. And for me, an NFT, the real name is non-fungible token, and a non-fungible token means it's a one-of-one digital mm -hmm. asset, right? We're actually starting to call them digital assets in a lot of ways. Um, I'm working on a project right now uh, for the Vatican and doing a Vatican art project. And in there, we're calling them keys because the Vatican uses over 2,000, it's 2,797 keys per day to open the Vatican. So we're like, wow, we'll use NFTs as keys to open opportunities. So I see it like a key and access. And I was mentioning that before. One reason to NFT is to have access to something else. And yes. so... It would be a digital asset that you would buy on one of the uh, basically uh, platforms such as uh, OpenSea or NiftyGate. There's different ways to go in and buy NFTs. Rarible is another one. Mm -hmm. um, but once you buy an NFT, then it gives you access to something else. It's just like a ticket going to a concert. You get that QR code and with that, you now have access to something else. In our case, some people will have access to going to the Vatican, a VIP exit entrance on the side where they can go in and have a, a different experience than almost anyone else because of this VIP experience, exclusive experience made. However, some people will have NFTs that also give um, time with the Pope, exclusive time. Some people will have, you know, 45 minutes one-on-one -on -one with the Pope, and some people will be in groups of 10 and have 75 minutes together and have a group that goes in, and the NFTs will determine the access that people will get over time. And so to me, it's like um, a VIP access ticket, but it's also provable on the blockchain and cannot be copied. Yes. And so that's the big reason to do it at this level for the Vatican is for that exclusive access and to be able to prove it once you're there and it's yours. I like the way that you've described this as, as access framed around more exclusive experiences or different levels of experience. One of the things that I speak and write about through the lens of financial services, experience is a differentiator and experiences 
or well-defined systems and processes that have been A, strategically mapped out, B, applied, and then C, optimized over time, resulting in hopefully a positive emotion. And if it's a not so positive emotion, well, let's be curious. Well, why not? What can we do to be even better to optimize that experience going forward into the future? So I think the way that you frame this, access and experiences that can be, once again, identified and proven throughout the course of time because they are now tied back to the blockchain makes a ton of sense. I I, I want to take this in just a little bit of a, of a different direction here for, for a bit because a, a danger you bring up in the book um, is something that I've been thinking a lot about over the past maybe three or four months. We're approaching episode 300 for this podcast and I have something very special planned for that and it is around the dangers of deep fakes in Web 3.0. Um, and I see that this could have the potential to do away with, you know, what was really a big trend over the past couple of years, voice banking, probably is being threatened by the ability for anyone to clone someone else's voice, someone else's really visual video identity, um, likeness, if you will. And you write, deep fakes erode trust. And Without truth, society cannot survive. In banking on digital growth, I framed trust as the glue within the pyramid of human relationships. It's, it's funny because even in our campaign, the very first thing was we had to have a gateway. We could trust them and they can trust us. It's both sides. Yeah. I also want to make sure that people that come in the community are real, not bots, not disturbing, but actually wanting to engage in the community. So that trust factor goes both sides. And it is the most important piece is, is making sure you have that in the beginning. And I, I think that's why I have so many followers around this topic is I've had a lot of people say, well, I can trust you. Because number one, you've been in business. Number two, you've been around the block. You know what you're doing. But also, it's not just brand new to me. It's another form of marketing and it's another form of finance. It's not replacing things. It's enhancing things at the moment. It might replace over time. Yeah. But remember I said, start small, walk before you run. Anything you put in there, make sure you can risk it and not change your lifestyle. Those are all principles in coming in here right now. Now, I also am with people that in 2016 bought Ethereum at $2.16 a share. They didn't feel like they were taking any risk. And in this market right now, they're still very, very up, right? Each one of them, they feel a different perspective. Just like you were saying before, perspective is everything. Their perspective is, hey, the market's up tremendously. I'm going to hold and wait and keep building my portfolio. But someone who got in you know, just a few months ago before it took a correction, they have a different perspective based on their results. So a lot of it is the timing of, on when you get in, but also the chops of how, how long you can extend ups and downs in the marketplace because it's going to happen just well, like the market. Well, this is where you begin to wrap up the book with a, and, and I love this, it, it's a call to action and a simple one at that. Don't be that person. <laughs> Don't be that person when it comes to Web 3.0 because you write about the regret that people feel with statements like, oh, if I would have just bought stock in Amazon or, oh, if I jumped onto Bitcoin or Ethereum in the beginning. I want to get real practical. Well, a lot of them are, like I had Bitcoin when I got in, it was $296 a share. Yeah. And my first Bitcoin was given to me, you know, in Abundance 360 from Peter Diamante. So I had to learn how to open a wallet. I had to learn how to do those things. Because it was like on-the-job training in order yes. to get 
you had to learn. But once you get to the other side and you learn, you're like, wait a second, if I could do it, anyone can do it. And I think the fear is what stops people. And I'd rather than be curious and just, just test it with something small. But also, one of the other things I was mentioning last week is the next generation, right, the average of 18 years and under in, in Roblox right now, in Roblox alone, which I mentioned earlier, you know, we have Gucci in there, we have, uh, you know, a metaverse preparing for the future for all these different brands. We're watching uh, Starbucks in there with their, with their uh, um, ideas as well. In just Roblox alone, 12,000 billion hours have been in that metaverse. 12,000 billion. Wow. 12,000 billion hours of brain time of this next generation. Some are my age, but not very many compared to the teenagers and 20-year-olds. Right. 12,000 billion hours they're spending. So what is the brain power they're bringing there? What is the engagement? Why are they staying there? So my charge to everyone, the call to action is be curious. Go in there, find out why are your kids in there? Why are your neighbors in there? Why are brands in there? And just start feeling around and not letting it be so foreign, but yes, be curious as to why people are so engaged they go back every single day. Let's let's wrap up with this and, and send the dear listener off with a very practical action that they can apply, something small. And I agree with your perspective of curiosity. I've always called for financial brand leaders to return to the curiosity of a kindergartner. Be a curious kindergartner. Look at the world through the lens of a five or a six-year-old. And, you know what and- that lens is? That lens is wonderment. <gasps> what's going to happen? Oh, what color is that flower going to be? Like, it's wonderment. Yes. They're expecting great things to happen. They're not doomsday generally. They're generally like, wow, what's around the corner? What, how, how high will that balloon go? Oh, how long will my friends stay and play? Will they share that wonderment. toy? It's all wonderment and curiosity, not doomsday, victimhood. This is so hard, I can't do it. No, go back to that five-year-old wonderment. It's beautiful. Two, two final questions. What prevents, and I see a lot of a lot of fear within financial services, especially now. There's a lot of unknowns right now. And actually, even myself, you know, Friday when they announced Silicon Valley Bank and what was going on behind the scenes, I was seeing my friends wondering if their payroll numbers were going to be there, wondering if they could count on getting some of their money out for quarterly taxes. Was it already paid? Is it sitting in, in a bridge loan? They didn't know, right? Yeah. And the fear was the unknown. And as they started discovering answers and discovering possibilities, I could see the fear shifting. So I think the biggest case is, you know, have that plan in place of if this, then that, if this, then that, and really be smart around where you put your money, where you put your trust and check in with your advisors and say, based on what's going on today, am I protected? What is that risk? We do a risk analysis. I usually do it in December. Um, I'm doing it on everything because I have teams that, you know, we have workers comp that's uh, something in my vet hospitals I have to pay attention to. So I'll do an audit on our workers comp. Are we doing the right systems? I'll do a risk audit on our insurances, on our team, on our key players. And by doing the risk analysis, now you see the gap if there's something you have to fill. Well, it's the same with finances, right? Making money is different than keeping money, which is different than investing money. They're all different skill sets. And so when I'm looking at my accountant team, I'm looking at them reporting history. Yeah. They're not being forward thinking. I'm looking at my tax advisors and strategists 
as looking in the future, right? So if, I, if they're just reporting, I can't ask them to be the futuristic people. It's two separate teams, two separate skill sets. And that second opinion from one to the other can discover different things because they're looking at it with wonderment, right? The tax strategists are like, mm, I wonder what I can do to make this a better situation, a better story, a better whatever it is that will help me. He's looking at it for future, whereas the accountant's looking at it to report from the past. Two different perspectives. Yes. Now, can I have them work together? Yes, but it takes time for them to understand each other's perspective and help each other be great at their job too. Right. Right. It's, it's, it takes years to get that symbiotic relationship in place. And then on top of it, putting a wealth advisor in the middle who has a different perspective. I, I was mentioning to you earlier, you know, a wealth advisor gets paid for assets under management. Well, on January 1, I'm like, I should have everything in cash ready for a market crash so I could buy. It's a buying opportunity. Now, to the wealth advisor, they're like, you can't time the market. But to me, I'm like, well, I want to have more cash so I can have more shares at the end of this market crash, right? If I have 1,000 shares and it goes down 30%, I now can have 1,300 shares for the same amount of money. That's right. As long as it's in my IRA and I don't get taxed on gains when I sell it. But you have to know how to be a strategist for your portfolio. Where is it? And where do you take it for the future, right? So one of my strategies of a few years ago was I had Facebook stock from the 1990s and it had gone up so much. I had Apple stock from the 1990s as well. It had gone up so much. Rather than just selling it, I was able to donate it to a foundation for good, mm -hmm. get the full deduction, 50% of the deduction of the value now, instead of paying taxes on the capital gains. So I could have paid $250,000 in taxes or had an extra $250,000 in value to share with Impact for Good, right? And I chose to put it in a foundation and have Impact for Good rather than just sending it off for taxes and not doing anything. But by understanding that strategy, I could then have my assets work for me in a different way. And that's what I want to recommend to people. Find your team, the ones that help you make it, the ones that help you save it, and the ones that help you build it for the future. It really is different skill sets. And once you learn that, and you put it all together, then you create ways to, to leverage this marketplace. How to harvest losses is actually a strategy, right? Just in crypto alone, one of the beauties that we have is if you had bought a, uh, anything, blockchain, if you bought um, Bitcoin or Ethereum and it immediately goes down, you could sell it for a loss immediately buy it back because they don't have a wash term on it like the stock market does. The stock market, you have to wait 30 days to, to buy it back and the stock can change dramatically. But in crypto, you can harvest the loss, buy it right back, and now it's working for you. Mm -hmm. Even a loss can work for you if you have the right strategy and the right team in place to do it. Look at the world through a lens of curiosity and wonderment. Have the right team that bridges the past, present, and future and then always be willing to transform failure into the fertile soil that springs new growth going forward into the future. This has been a fantastic conversation today, Lee. You are a helpful guide to provide clarity in otherwise confusing and chaotic times. If someone wants to connect with you or get the book Blockchain Life, how can they do that to continue to learn from you going forward into the future? Well, I hope they all get blockchain life, not just for them, but for their kids and their parents. So all the generations are learning together. Uh, that's going to be on Amazon. Just look up blockchain life there. And then to find me is goasklee.com, G-O-A-S-K-L-E-E, goasklee.com. Right there, you can find what I'm doing right now. We're going to be posting my TED Talk there in just a week or so. And 
I'm just excited about sharing this. And I think right now, you're right. Looking at it with wonderment, what can we do together? How can we learn together? It's going to be the most fun. And so let's do it. Let's do it. GoAskLee.com. Connect with Lee. Learn with Lee. Grow with Lee. Lee, thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Banking on Digital Growth. This has been a lot of fun today. Thank you. And I can't wait to your episode 300. I will be on speed dial listening to it. And I can't wait to what you unveil next. As always. And until next time, be well, do good, and make your bed. Thank you for listening to another episode of Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay. To get even more practical and proven insights along with coaching and guidance, visit digitalgrowth.com insider to join a community of growth-minded marketing and sales leaders from financial brands and fintechs. Until next time, be well and do good.